Well, with a little license today, I'm afraid I'm not really going to preach a sermon. It's more a reflection. A reflection on what or on whom? I'll tell you. A reflection on St. Augustine of Hippo, whose day it is today, August the 28th. Augustine of Hippo, not Augustine of Canterbury. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. The day he died, of course, was the 28th of August in the year 430 at the ripe old age of 76, which was indeed a ripe old age in those days. And I'm also going to talk a little bit about St. Monica. Now, why St. Monica? Because she was the mother of St. Augustine, and her day was yesterday, the 27th. I wonder why that is. Well, I'm told behind every successful man there's a strong woman. And St. Monica was certainly a strong lady, the mother of St. Augustine. Yes, yesterday is her day, the 27th. Just briefly for a moment then about Monica, because Monica is the great model intercessor in the history of the church. You know, Augustine was not baptized as a little boy. Uh, they put salt on his tongue, which they used to do those days when he was salted, as they called it, at his birth and given a name. But for 33 years, he was not a Christian and had made no pretensions to be so. He shopped around in all the uh, various religions, religious supermarket of his day because religion was abounding in all sorts of shapes and forms in those days as it is today. And a little bit more about that in a few moments. She died, however, in Ostia, the port of Rome, as the whole family of Augustine were coming back from Milan through Rome and Ostia, the port, waiting for a ship to take them back to Algeria, as it is today, North Africa, to Anabar, where they lived, where they, the family lived from the time of Augustine's birth. I said a moment ago, the power of intercession. You know, she prayed for 33 years earnestly that her son, her wicked son in many ways, her brilliant son, her very arrogant son, Augustine, would become a Christian. In fact, she almost gave up because he, he took his time over that. And a bishop once said to her, you know, don't worry, Monica, with your prayers for him, he doesn't stand a chance. He's bound to become a Christian one day. Yes, a great intercessor. And it's often women, you know, like Esther in the Old Testament, who are the great intercessors. That's my experience throughout my ministry. Old women who quite often are housebound. I knew one very badly. And uh, she had a whole prayer list of people she prayed for every day, went before the Lord on their behalf. Intercessor, yes. Well, now then, what about Augustine? Born in 354, died in 430, when he was 76, as I said a moment ago. And when he was born in 354, the middle of the fourth century, you'd have thought the Roman Empire was going to be there for a thousand years. But in the course of his lifetime, totally disappeared. When civilizations go into decline, they go into decline very rapidly. Look out, Western civilization today. Yes, it's known as the late antiquity, of course marks the end of a civilization and the dramatic event which marked it out so clearly that things were going down the tubes was when Alaric the Goth in the year 410 sacked Rome, 
the center of the world. I think the equivalent today might have been the trade towers in New York. That's what they felt like in America. And Jerome, sitting in his cave in Bethlehem, wrote a letter of total despair to Augustine, saying, you know, this is the end of the world as we've known it. And of course, by 430, the Roman Empire completely broken up, almost disappeared, the Roman civilization. And as I said a moment ago, for the 33 years, he shopped around the options of the religious supermarket of his day. He tried them all out. He couldn't put religion down, but he hadn't met Jesus Christ then, and he was certainly not a Christian. He was ambitious, brilliant professor of rhetoric, where he taught in Carthage, where he'd been a student previously. Ambitious, brilliant, intellectual, wonderful wordsmith. Um, but he spent a lot of time in Carthage, which he called in his confessions, a boiling cauldron of vice. During that time, he had an illegitimate son by a woman whose name we don't know. He actually called the illegitimate son, do you like this? He called the illegitimate son Adiodatus, which means, of course, a gift of God. How many people would call uh, their children born out of marriage a gift from God, from an unnamed woman? And then uh, he was so successful as a rhetorician and was known throughout the empire as that, that he was appointed the royal rhetorician and orator in Milan, where the court had moved up in Italy from Rome. But he'd only just started there uh, when he had his first total breakdown. Ah! Mother Monica had followed old Augustine from North Africa because she couldn't let go of him. She was a powerful lady um, all the way up to Milan and he'd gone with his best friend Alypius and Adiodatus, his illegitimate uh, son and also with his uh, unnamed woman friend and uh, He'd only been doing the work about 18 months and he had a total, what we would nowadays call, breakdown. And so he was lent a nice house near Lake Como um, where to recover. He had terrible chest pains, he lost his voice totally, um, and his world fell apart, in a word. And then, of course, ah, what did I say, breakdown, breakthrough? Yes, his breakdown was God's opportunity to break through. One hot day, he was sitting in the garden in that house. He'd fallen asleep, but he was woken by a little voice saying, tole lege, tole lege, tole lege. Latin, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it. At first he thought it was a little girl playing in the garden next door, and then he realized it wasn't the voice of the Lord. And so he bent down and picked up a copy of the epistles of Paul. He opened them, Romans chapter 10. The words sprang off the page, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that moment, Jesus made himself present to Augustine through the living word. You know, that's, there's a common record of that. Pascal had the same experience in his study when he read John chapter 16. 
St. Anthony of Egypt had the same experience when he heard the gospel being read. And Anthony Bloom, when he heard, when he read, sat down one night and read the whole of Mark's gospel at a, at a go. And then suddenly, Christianity was no longer a religion. Christianity was no longer an ideology. Christianity was what it is. It is Jesus and the resurrection. He ran into the house, told his mother, Monica, told his friends, and then decided he would go into Milan throughout the next two or three years and sit at the back of the cathedral. And I'm always conscious of this, that there are some people who come to church who don't want to be harassed by the clergy standing at the west door. Oh, how nice to see you. Do come along next Sunday. Would you like to join the PCC? No, thank you very much. I'm a seeker. I'm here to inquire. I'm here to knock on the door to see if there's anybody there. And so he sat at the back of the basilica for nearly three years, listening to who? Little Ambrose, Bishop of Milan. His body is still in the cathedral in Milan. I saw it some years ago when I was there. He was about five foot, I think. And he did what bishops used to do those days. He didn't sit behind a desk managing a diocese. Every day, Bishop Ambrose would sit in his chair, his cathedra, and expound the scriptures. Every day, he preached a sermon, if you like. He expounded the scriptures. And Augustine was captivated. And so, the beginning of Lent in the year 387, he enrolled for baptism and confirmation. And on Easter Eve, the vigil, Easter that year, was as late as it can be. It was April the 25th. And on the vigil before, the night before, you know, they would spend all night in praying on the eve of Easter morning. The bishop was there. The deacons were there preparing the men and the women. I've been to the Baptists in North Africa. They were separate from the church. They were in a separate round building. And it's almost like a jacuzzi, three steps down into it. You can still see them to this day. And uh, um, uh, Augustine with Olypius and Adiodatus were, would step down into the water. They were not submerged. That's, that's not true. The water would be only about 18 inches high because it couldn't be any more than that. The bishop would sit at one end. The deacon would take him down into the pool. And he would ask him the same question that I ask every time I confirm somebody to this day, 2,000 years later. Do you turn to Christ? And he wouldn't just say, well, I suppose, uh, yes, in a sort of, a, well, yes, I suppose, in a, yes, old chap, I suppose I do in a sort of way. <laughs> no. He would say, facing the west, the darkness, I turn to Christ and he would turn to face the east, the rising sun, because it was just beginning to dawn on him what the power of the risen Christ could mean in his life. And so he was baptized, confirmed, and then they would all go into the great basilica to be baptized. And as a matter of fact, about 10 years ago, they uncovered the baptistry where he would have been baptized and the following Easter vigil, they baptized three North African men in that, in that baptistry. 
Well, the rest is history. I won't bore you with it, except it certainly is not boring. He returned back to, uh, to North Africa via Austria, where he waited for a ship. And while he was in Austria, his mother died. And he tells us in the confession on her deathbed, she said this to him. She said, you know, Augustine, I've prayed for you for 33 years that God would make you a Catholic Christian. He has more than answered my prayers. I have nothing else to, left to live for. I've lived for that. When you go back to Africa, don't bother to take my body with you. I'm happy to be buried here. All I ask is, every time you go to the altar of God, you will always remember me. In 1945, some little boys were playing a game in Ostia, and they had to put a stake in the ground. The ground opened up, and there we found the little stone which recorded the death of Monica in that year. Well, he went back to Africa, thought he was going to have a nice time as a monk, and he was by acclamation ordained priest, and then subsequently bishop of Hippo, Hippo Regis. And all those years, over 30 years he was bishop, uh, he wrote many books, of course. We have hundreds of his sermons on the Psalms and on John's Gospel. He wrote the Confession, his autobiography, in which he tells us warts and all <laughs> about him. He said there was no sin of the flesh that he hadn't committed. Well, he was always ambitious, wasn't he? I mean, he wrote a book called De Trinitate on the Trinity. And, of course, his great work, De Civitate Dei, the city of God, in which... That city has the firm foundations that not Alaric the Goth or anyone else can overturn. And of course, we now know after 2,000 years that he is the greatest single theological influence in the church after St. Paul. Luther said that, Protestants say it, Catholics say it, we all say it. Here is a man who indeed changed the history of the world. So, what he's most known for, of course, and how we perhaps now finish and apply it to ourselves, the beginning of the Confessions, in the first chapter, he says this, We were made by God and for God, and our hearts are restless till they rest in God.